Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and for once, I am definitely going to nail the name of my guest, uh, one, because I've known him for quite some time, and two, his name is Chris Stevens, and that'd be really hard for me to mess it up. Uh, it's actually Christ. Damn it! <laughs> I, I thought I had this one in the bag. <laughs> I um, it, It's kind of pathetic how often I pronounce even the simplest names wrong oh, yeah. introducing my guests. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but thank you for joining me, Chris. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a Monday morning and we're at a closed brewery drinking beer. Yeah. It's you, a, you can't go wrong. Yeah, it is. It is definitely, as you had said earlier, a perks to the job. Yeah, this is amazing. Like if every podcast was like this, I would do this daily, but they're not. It would also though, it, it as as, uh, appealing as that sounds, I've gone through like weeks where I record a bunch of ones day like a couple a day or several yeah. in a row that it, it actually starts to wear on you oh, after a little while <laughs> so well, it's, it's i'll take over whenever yeah. you want <laughs> so anyone who doesn't know and i urge you to go and uh if you have discovery channel go or whatever the official name of it is, is that all of the seasons of mm-hmm. the chris was on he was well, not on one of the hosts of uh garage rehab and it's on the on the Disney Channel. There are two seasons of it. The Discovery Channel, but uh, same thing. Damn it! <laughs> See, it was bound to screw up some name. It's so, right next to Little Mermaid and, and Fantasia. I said, didn't I say Discovery the first time? Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, that's the thing is that everything's getting confused now because you had cable TV. That was pretty much it. The Netflix yeah. came. Now there's so many subgenres of the Disney Channel and Discovery Go. Now it's Discovery Plus, and it's. It's confusing me to the point yeah. where I'm like, I'll just watch YouTube. Like yeah. that, that works for me. Like I'm going to cancel all this stuff and I couldn't keep up with it. So, uh, but yeah, it's there somewhere. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it is. Cause I didn't, I had watched, I actually, it was one of the rare moments in the past decade where I watched live TV. Whoa. I actually watched the first season of garage rehab live. Wow. That's cool. We had to watch it, but they, <laughs> This is, the, this is the crap with TV. They made us uh, tweet during it. Tweet. <laughs> I am not a Twitter person. Um, and they made us tweet Almost no one is. live. So uh, you have to interact with your fran- fans and then like at them at like, oh, we were doing this at this time. So I don't even really get to enjoy my own show. So even when the show comes out, they still have you work. Now you're, you're not getting paid to tweet. Yeah, just part of the... I guess, you know, and then you, you, you do it because you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to do this, so I don't want to get in trouble, you know? Um, thinking back now, no, I would have never done that. Like, I was an Instagram guy, still am to this day, and I never really liked Twitter. I don't like the platform. It's confusing to me. I, every once in a while, even though I know I don't need to, I think like, oh, I should start using Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll like make maybe three tweets in a row yeah. and then forget the app exists again. Exactly. Like, this is stupid. I don't care about Twitter. Same thing. Like I think uh, I was verified on Twitter when I first joined and I was like, oh, that's cool. But I didn't do anything with it. And the verification checkpoint went away. Oh uh, yeah. Cause they have part of their stipulations is you have to log in I guess, every yeah. so often. I think that's why, cause 
they recently reopened um, getting verified. And I, I was going to try like several years ago and working for a newspaper it's a lot easier to because oh yeah i have an email address from a verified media thing and and i have everything checked off except like one of their stipulations i think is like a frequent user or something along those lines and i was declined because like the two biggest things when you do it as like as a journalist you have it says you have to have a reference of yourself on a recognized media's website is I'm listed on the contact page of the Frederick News Post. Sure. <laughs> As, and I still got declined. But so, I think it was because they probably looked at, like, oh, he signs in once every month. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, when, when we got, so I got verified Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Twitter went away. And I'll tell you what, well, one of the biggest issues with being a personality that's verified versus a business is a lot, it's, it's like a checkpoint of hierarchy, and it's, and it's a classism. And I, I almost dislike it and people don't like it. Like your own friends are just like, oh, who does he think he is? And I'm like, listen, I didn't ask for it. Yeah. It came because there was other fake accounts that started up because you're on TV. Yeah. And so, okay. Well, that's, I, I kind of look down on you because you're verified on I'll Instagram you, and think, they've denied me repeatedly <laughs> because think, I'm no one. <laughs> you know, and it's like getting people think like, oh, you're, you're verified. You probably get paid or, or get free products and things like that. It's like, it's not really that way. I actually got more interaction with businesses when I wasn't verified. That's weird. That's I, it interesting. Is weird. It is weird. Um, and it's strange. Like, I want to just make like a random post about like my food I'm eating or the beers I'm drinking. And now I just feel like it's too business-like. Yeah. And it just took the fun away from it. I, I know it's, it's weird to say, like a lot of people are probably like, man, I wish I was verified. It's like, well, I know, but it, it took away that personalness that I had. Yeah. And now I have to feel like it's every photo has to be a certain way or something. It has to be on brand. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just lost its fun that Instagram used to have like 2012, 2013. I, though, also feel that the way it's in, it may, it probably is different in the, the car world. Um, but Instagram definitely has a bias against alcohol and oh. it happened about two years ago. And their their algorithm does not seem to favor anything to do with alcohol because like my instagram account was growing rapidly yeah and then they did a change and it just like plateaued and like just slowly built from that point on yeah and then you know we're, we're uh since i was kind of starting out on it you gained a lot of followers quickly what but one of the things i noticed and this is interesting a lot of people pay for their followers yeah, and well, that's easy to find like, and, and it to is, figure out. It is, it is. And we had a program where you could, you could type in somebody's name and see exactly how many followers they pay for per day. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, and you could take anybody's name and put it into that program and you'd see. So surprisingly, a lot of people I worked with on the Discovery Channel have fake numbers. And one easy way to see that is look at their, their post versus their comments, right? So like how many likes they get? Oh, 30,000 likes, because you can pay for that. Yeah. How many comments you have? 10 comments, but you have 30,000 likes. That doesn't add up. Yeah. And then some of the people, uh, especially close people I've worked with, is look at their comments, go like 10 down, and then it's the same exact comment. Oh, like all It'll just, just say spammy. hello. Yeah. Hello, hello, hi. Okay, well that's not a real comment. Now your first 10 might be, and then after that you start that deep dive. 
into their 254, I'm throwing up quotations right now, into your 254 <laughs> comments, yeah, 250 of them are fake. And that's another thing that just bothered me so much is like, man, it's like fake it till you make it. Okay, great. But it's so ungenuine. Yeah. And I just wanted to be real the entire time from the, from the time I started that show to the time like now. It's, I'm just a mechanic. I just work on cars. That's my number one passion. And I grew up in, in, in independent automotive shops my whole life. So when a TV show came about that that was the basis, independent shops helping them out around the country. It's like, literally, there's nobody better than me for that job. Yeah. And I knew that. And I wanted to help people out. The issue was I was with other people that only wanted it for the fame and only wanted it for the money. And it just, it shined through and you could almost tell on the episodes that I was pissed off with the people I worked with because they weren't genuine. That's what I'm... Uh, well, actually, there's two things I want to say now. One, if you're listening to this and you're wondering why Chris Re and I are even talking right now uh, because you're used to listening to me talk to, oh, yeah. Yeah, to yeah, brewers yeah, yeah. and stuff is I'm going to start doing this as a new like kind of side, not side series because it's still going to be in the uncapped podcast feed, but like a drink with friends thing. People who I know who enjoy craft beer and have done interesting things in their lives. And um, so... Chris is the first person to watch. Well, I've done a couple other, like I had Eno Saris on who, if you follow baseball right, and right. really nerdy baseball stuff, you probably know who Eno is. Yeah. Um, and then La Zane Lamprey was on recently at the comedian, mm -hmm. but he's doing a tour across brewery. So oh, that's cool. Chris is the first completely non brewery guest yep. that, uh, just enjoys beer, but is interesting to talk to and has an awesome story in which I'm really glad that you said that nothing is off topic because off topic. there are a lot of things I like because I went and I watched um, a couple ep two episodes of season two over the weekend. Oh, cool. And one thing I did notice is that whenever the three of you, so the other, the other two hosts were Richard Rawlings, mm -hmm. Rollins, how do yeah. you say it? Yeah. It doesn't Rawlings, matter. Rawlings, yeah. Um, and <laughs> Russell something yeah. or other. Yeah. Um, so whenever you're in a car, mm -hmm. it was the two of them and you in the back seat. Sure. You always looked annoyed and pissed off. Yeah. And, and now there's like, a good explanation for yeah. that. <laughs> there's a great I, explanation. And for I that. like, as I'm watching mm -hmm. it and I was paying attention to that, I'm like, is it just like, he's like, it's a long recording thing and like a lot of it was them two talking to each other and you were just bored a hundred percent or like just annoyed in the situation yeah. all together so uh so number one when we started we shot the pilot episode right um i was the co-host that was it it was me and richard the other guy was like a construction expert that we were going to bring in later for his advice on can we tear down this wall put this wall up whatever and uh, so me and Richard would drive around and see this shop and everything else. And, and it was fine. And at some point, I could feel it. You're getting pushed out of that position. And even with the executive producer calling me and saying like, hey, we're going to make some changes. Right? And you're like, okay, what's the deal, you know? And one of those changes was, I'm going to be sitting in the back seat. Okay. Right away, that annoyed me. Not that I'm sitting in the back seat, but that I started at a certain position. And then they move you into the back. Don't explain really why this is happening and um then they started a numbering system so richard would be number one right i was number two russell was number three 
Well, some people don't like being called a certain number. So out of just pure emotion or something, they changed that and they wanted to start calling me number three. So that you would hear that on your microphone, number three, this and that. And you're like, what the, f seriously, this is pissing <laughs> me off to the point where like, uh, they would start like the, the guy that does the floors would be called number four the this, you know, be called number five. And, uh, then I found out from one of my producers that they're not supposed to number people. And if they do, it's supposed to be behind the scenes during editing, not not, not speaking to like or, I'm not supposed to know what number I am. Yeah. But they made it clear of that. And it was like it was like being in high school kind of where there was all this like weird um almost like bullying in a way. We were like what's going on here? Like uh okay, so you want me to sit in the back seat yet they talk over me cuz like if you've ever been a kid in the back seat and two people up you can't hear the person yeah. in the front, right? So you just sit there. You go, "Why am I even back here? This is stupid." Oh, sit in the middle. Okay, well, you don't have a middle row. It's two captain seats. We'll <laughs> sit on this milk crate. Oh, oh you were on a milk crate? Sometimes. If you look, <laughs> yeah, depending on the rental, the, yeah. some Tahoes had a bench seat, and you're fine. They want you to lean forward, and some Tahoes have two captain seats, and you got to sit on a milk crate, which is illegal anyways. But they do that kind of stuff for TV. Yeah, you do drive around for like an hour and a half, two hours, too. And then they'll, they'll say, you know, they'll stop the car and say, Chris, why aren't you talking? Why am I talking? What am I going to talk about in the back seat? I'm going to shout over somebody. So it almost seemed like three was a crowd, 100%. On a TV yeah. show, three is too many people. I see it on those home makeover shows where you have three people walking around. It's awkward, and then people feel like they need to talk over the other person to get their voice heard, like camera time. Yeah, it's not a normal no. dialogue. Thing. And even I, I'm often torn... Um, and recording podcasts about having more than just one guest because if you have two guests that are both dominant personalities yeah, yeah. it becomes really awkward <laughs> if it's a dominant per like a dominant personality and someone who doesn't feel the need to be heard it works then because then the dominant person talks and yep. then I just directly address questions to the second person. But if it's two dominant people and you ask a question, it's just the constant talking over each other. So I could definitely see that like it, it does become an awkward thing. And it kind of came off to where, where Richard and Russell are, did they know each other beforehand? Were like, were they friends or something? No, or they, they had no idea who they were before. Okay. Um, the first night we went out, we had a great time. Went over to Richard's apartment, you know, drank a lot of beers. I mean, we had a lot of fun. We went club hopping in his uh, Rolls Royce. It was, it was a great time. Something happened that night. Well, one, um, I know that Richard wanted me to do something that I don't do. So that may have hurt the relationship right there. It's like, I don't mess around with that stuff, so I just drink beer. Literally, that's all I do. It's like I'll drink beer, maybe a rum and coke or something like that. Yeah. It's just beer. So we're going to these, these high-end clubs in Dallas. I'm like, this sucks. Like, just show me like a dive bar. Yeah. I know he's a dive, gar dive bar person, like deep down, but he's trying to show off all the time. Yeah. So it's like, let me show you this club and how we can get bottle service. And I'm like, this is so lame. Like, <laughs> anywho, uh, yeah. So something happened that night where Richard and Russell had a, I don't know, a relationship starting. Something <laughs> happened, dude. I don't know what they shared or what they did. Who knows? And ever since then, it was just like me battling those two. And they wanted me off the show for two seasons. 
And every time a producer would tell me the inside of what's going on, like, first of all, the producers would say, Chris, you're not going anywhere, right? And they're trying to get you fired. So you'd hear that and you're like, I got to work with these guys next. We went through five producers in two seasons, the highest amount of producers to leave and be fired in any discovery show, all because of two people. Because they didn't like that producer. Who knows? Or, Who yeah. knows? I mean, they, it was so strange. They kept changing producers, but it was all makings of those two hosts. And I'm sitting there like every time I'd get close with a producer, two, three days later, they would get fired. Like, That's oh crazy. my God, seriously. Yeah, this is getting bad. Um, it wasn't until our last producer on the last episode, it was like episode 20 or 21, and we got close finally. Like we were hanging out and he's like, damn dude, like you're really cool. You know, I just want to let you know that those guys have been trying to get you off the show. And I said, yeah, it's, it's nothing I don't know already. Yeah. Like even without producers telling you that, could you tell? That, oh, like, 100%. It just, 100%. Yeah. Um, I would also, but anyway, so this producer tells me that. I'm like, cool, man, you know. Well, I'm going to start speaking up for it. So I went over to, to Richard Russell was like, yeah, I already know you want, want me off the show, but I'm not going anywhere. So, like, <laughs> it's just, this is how it's going to be. No, no, man. I said, well, this producer told me different. Literally, they went and grabbed that producer, and he was fired on the spot. So now that guy hates me, and I'm like, listen, dude, I, I have to work with these people, and I have to be transparent with them. Like, hey, yeah. I already know what you're up to. Call them out. Um, so the, the drama was insane, and I started figuring out, like, okay, I'm watching season two, and let's say one of them talks over you. Well, guess what? At the end of the season, you have to go and do what's called an OTF, which is a, it's a on the fly. It's basically you have to re-say what you were trying to say on that episode but like it happened four months ago. So if you were wearing that T-shirt, you have to put that T-shirt back on. Oh, so they actually refilm it? Just by yourself, though. Oh, okay. So that way nobody can talk over you. So now I'm watching season two. I'm basically narrating the show, and I have all this screen time, and I'm talking all the time. I looked at my OTFs, the paperwork for these OTFs you have to memorize. It was like eight pages long. Oh, there's something going on. I would look <laughs> at the other guys, and it'd be a page and a half. So, okay, so they want me to talk more, like definitely speak out about it so I started doing that and you, you can almost figure out it's like there was one time I had to memorize at the most I always remember this because of the number but it's 666 words and it had to be verbatim and I only had a couple of hours to memorize that and I'm like this this is ridiculous all because they're talking over me yeah we could have solved this and just let me speak on the show but now I have to memorize this stuff and then say it verbatim while I got to catch a flight in an hour and I did it but I'm not good at memorizing, so I had to, like, really focus and study. Um, but, yeah, th that's kind of, like, the, the things about the TV show. Yes, the producers, I feel bad for them just because they were just, like, they were thrown in a very, what we always said the show was, was very toxic. Something about that show. Maybe you throw in, like you were saying, three alpha dogs. It's just not going to work. It's, yeah, too, it's too many cooks in the kitchen. Had, um, obviously, Richard has had several shows right there's yeah, fast and loud um yeah so he had a couple of fast and loud he had garage rehab he had a show called like demolition theater which was like a ripoff of ridiculousness i don't know Re what that is either that was with uh rob deertrick where you just watch fail videos oh okay yeah. i think i do yeah um so he he was and they, they were all um discovery, discovery shows, shows. Right? so yeah. he is a 
well known. The Russell's never been on anything else, uh-uh. right? That was his first. Yeah, that was his first. Or... And for Richard, that that was like his golden. That was their golden child for okay. Discovery Channel was Richard Rawlings because they didn't really have like Paul Senior from Orange County Choppers anymore. They didn't have Jesse James at the at the moment. And Richard just kind of slipped in at that sweet spot because Jesse James was the head one. Yeah. But he went through all of that uh, drama with Sandra Bullock and Hollywood. And there was like some weird things going on the with Jesse. Nazi stuff. Yeah. And, and like him he, possibly he wasn't with the, the Hell's Angels. Yeah. He, and, he wasn't exactly a uh, polished. Uh, no, he wasn't, he wasn't a front clean. man anymore. He's not someone you want to tie your brand to. No. So Jesse James is there. He's, he's the biggest. They booted him. Or, you know, he, he left before there was issues. And then this is right before the Me Too movement too, right? So all this stuff like him cheating on his wife and those things like that would be really bad now. Yeah. This was the start of it, of, of what he was doing to women and everything else. So he's booted off the show. Paul Sr. and Paul Jr., they were having a falling out. The show was kind of dying. And they left. And then here comes Richard. Just boom, right time, right place. Yeah. Has some has some popularity. Let's put all our cards yeah. behind him, and he's the new yeah, he he's put, the new automotive. Yeah, that's it. Guy. He didn't even have to be a real automotive person. It was let's put together a sizzle reel, let's make it look ridiculous, and let's see where it goes. And yeah. I know he pitched it for a, for a number of years, and it finally worked out. He was with Aaron Kaufman, who was the head mechanic, and uh, they ended up having a falling out. And now Aaron Kaufman's out on his own, and Richard's okay. doing whatever. Let's take um, a real quick sponsor break, Ooh. and then uh, once we get back, um, actually, I want, what, we'll, let's rewind a little bit, and we'll talk about how like you even ended up on the show. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So actually, before we get into that, a real quick comment I have, since you brought up Jesse James. Yeah. How much of a spitting image was the guy from season two, episode one, the Jacob's Garage guy, to Jesse James? The little guy? Yeah. Well, like, if you just, just like, face-wise, like, his mouth and, like, there was oh. a couple times where, like, they would show, like, the pre, you know, like, they show, like, like the preview clips, kind of, what's happening on the show, where I kept thinking it was Jesse James Jacob's Garage in Sturgis. Yeah. That I'd never even oh, thought see. about. Like, I met Jesse at, uh, recently, we were at a show called PRI in Indiana, and I met him. Um, I don't know. He's, I met him he, at something. No, he was kind of weird. <laughs> but you know what ended up happening was, like, 
you mention, oh, I'm on the Discovery Channel, I work with Richard Rawlings, he's going to go, who is this guy? I already don't like you. <laughs> and that's the problem is that I, listen, I'm not a fan of those guys either. I thought that show Fast and Loud was so stupid, right? And here I am working on that show, basically, yeah. you know, a different show, a spinoff. But it's like, I mean, what other chances do I have to get on the Discovery Channel? Okay, I'm going to take that. Yeah. yeah. I, I've never watched any of those other ones. Yeah. I never would have watched Garage Rehab yeah. if you hadn't been on it. It's literally the only reason I watched it. But that's one of the things is like, <laughs> look who I was associated with. Like, I know how he is. I know who, yeah. exactly what it is. It's like, a, you know, it's a snake. You pick it up anyways. It's still yeah. going to be a snake, right? That's how he is. But Jesse James, so when I met him, it, it was awkward. And then I quickly was like, yo, I remember you did a documentary called Joe Kid on a Stingray, the history of BMX. The second I said that, the dude's at it, like his whole demeanor changed. So like, you watch that DVD? I was like, yeah, I own it. I was like, you narrated that DVD. I bought it when it came out. And then we started talking about BMX in the late seventies and early eighties and how his sister used to have to drive him to the track and this and that. Once we talked about BMX, everything was cool. Have you watched the remastered version of, of rad? rad? <laughs> no, I have like a bootleg, like okay. Blu-ray copy of it. Um, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, they can go butt sliding. <laughs> I, I still haven't watched it because I'm I'm worried that I won't love it as much as I did as a kid. There's so many times where like there was a movie that I absolutely loved as a kid, and then I rewatch it. And I'm like, I had really bad taste as a kid, but I feel like it'll hold up. But I'm still afraid up. to. I watch think you'll it. fall in love with it again. Rad is is. I mean, we were BMX guys you know i wasn't into like skateboarding as much so like gleaming the cube and thrasher and still a like great that. movie yeah but rad was that was my movie mm -hmm. it was the only time like you actually see bmx and eddie fiola doing tricks and everything and yeah we're from full house where i grew up there's an awesome uh big uh bmx track in, in one oh. of the parks near there so like people would go there all the time so it was bmx was pretty big yeah. in the suburb of pittsburgh that i grew up in oh wow yeah bmx was life um, and then, you know, you turn 16 and then cars were life. Yeah. Then girls were life. <laughs> and now it's beer, cars and Be girls. Beer's great. <laughs> like, so what was, uh, you know, when you were younger, you could say 21, but what was like the drink that was always out popular during, during your first time drinking? So embarrassingly, the first thing I ever drank and got drunk on was Zima. Oh, yeah. It, it had just been released because I'm old. <laughs> um, but so the the two beers that were, well, there were three really um, readily available. It was uh, Milwaukee's Best. So that was Beast Ice. The be yeah, the Beast if it was like a budget party. That's 5.9% alcohol. If, if, you were, <laughs> if you were fancy... It was Rolling Rock, oh. or because it, that was back then. It was still brewed in Latrobe, which is only an hour outside of sure. Pittsburgh. Uh, so, if if you were fancy, it was Yingling or Rolling Rock. Okay, do you remember what was it called? Guinea Light. No, it was like a thirty pack, and it was nine ninety nine at Shoppers Food Warehouse. <laughs> uh, Beast Ice was ten ninety nine a thirty pack, or eleven ninety nine a thirty pack, and that was five point nine. So that'll mess you up, yeah. especially when you're younger, you get those. And then uh, if you're in like a little beer store, it was always Mad Dog 2020. And then <laughs> um, Old E, Mickey's, and 
uh, I can't remember. There was another 40 that was really popular. Definitely when like, I was 21. Okay, so <laughs> now now you know remember. beer. You know a lot about beer. What's your go-to cheap beer now? I actually, there's <laughs> there's no... Okay, like, so I'll, I'll, it, somehow I made it this far in life to only have a Modelo for the first time. And I don't even know. Is that cheap? I don't, like, uh, I don't even know how much it, a Modelo yeah, costs. Yeah, it'd be considered kind of cheap import, Com- I Yeah, guess. compared to craft beer. It's, so sure. I would say if I were to have a go-to now that wasn't a craft beer, it would. Although, actually, I would say Hank from Old Mother. You can get Hank cheap now oh, yeah. at, at any uh, beer store in Frederick. I think actually across the state they pump that beer out. So I'm I'm gonna re rethink that it would be in still it's cheap in air quotes because it's sure. still not like you're spending ten dollars for the four pack instead of ten dollars right. for but I mean it's really I I don't have like a cheap go to it would be so like the power of social media right I started drinking Budweiser a lot all right it just was like I was tired of thinking about what beer to do. I was like, yeah. Budweiser, it's easy, and nobody's going to steal my beer when it's in the fridge. <laughs> so I get Budweiser, and then all of a sudden, they, uh, they ask me for their address, like my address, and they're sharing stories. Now they're sending me product all the time nice. because they're hoping that you're going to post pictures of it. pictures of it. Yeah. And I've run into this with tobacco products, and I think alcohol is the same. They can't, I, I believe they can't pay you to be an ambassador. They can't pay you to, like, I'm going to pay you, you drink our beer and so with tobacco because i it probably you have to be an empl- actual employee probably yeah so like guinness has guinness ambassadors but they're employees of the of the company oh so so it may like maybe like other places that are ambassadors it's more like a ten like a looser arrangement that they can do it i mean who knows you know i'll i'll put certain stories out some things they send me i'm like i'm not doing this yeah like i'm not doing it but then something I'm like all right that's pretty cool you know budweiser and i'll put together stories because like hey you never know you never know maybe they'll hit you up one day and say like we want you to do a people of social media commercial i don't know yeah and you do it so with the cigar company i work with they can't pay you to smoke the cigars they only hope that you just say it's your favorite yeah <laughs> so they'll send you so much of it that you'll say like it's my favorite you can't I can't post and say like they sent me these for free or they this beer they sent me the beer for free. You just have to say like oh, I drink Budweiser now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. For some reason, I've decided that uh, for Budweiser some reason. Is, and then I know High Noon has sent me I, some things. <laughs> I um there's I've I've ignored it several times at this point, and I don't have nearly the following you have. Um, and I get the weirdest pitches of getting things sent to me but one that i keep up <laughs> just take them that i See keep what happens. That i keep getting <laughs> i think they've hit me up like three times oh at this boy. point it's a product called uh shit smooth my balls smooth my balls <laughs> i'll use it send it over here and it's all like male grooming products make you um, swim faster you got a giant beard why are they sending yeah, you no, no they want to smooth my balls not my face <laughs> <laughs> that is an odd that is pretty odd yeah. smooth my yeah they've uh 
there's been some weird companies out there, but you know, I give it to them because they also definitely bought their following because they have four hundred and twenty-five thousand. No, uh, it's impossible. Uh, let's let's look at those statistics real quick. But see what it's, I mean here? You have to be careful with that because now you're already turned off because you can see it's yeah. fake. So it four, feels fake. Four hundred and seventy-five thousand followers with fifteen posts. Oh my god. <laughs> But it would be like, if they would have had like 150 followers, maybe you would think like, oh, I'll help them out. It's I actually would business. be much more like, because I look at them like, first of all, no company that has 425,000 followers is going to reach out to someone with 9,000 asking them to yeah. send them a product. To- exactly. <laughs> and the other thing is like, so you'll see like, I know I'm somewhere in like the 40,000, right? like 43,000. That number only drops. No, I believe it was 50 some. No, it's 43. I'm looking. But it, it only drops. It doesn't gain anymore, right? Because you're not on TV or the people that I gain from TV see that I never post about television. So then they're, they're not like... Oh, no, you're right. 43. Yeah. So they're not seeing what they want to see. If they follow me because of TV and then I never post anything about television, they're like, what is this guy post about like shoes and <laughs> drinking beer and riding bikes? Yeah, pretty much. So when, when you got onto the show... Did you have a huge bump? Like, what, what yeah. kind of a following did yeah. you have it beforehand? It got up to, like, 70,000. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. And you got to think, like, all of the – jeez, the fans. The fans are definitely uh, Midwest, right, because of Texas. Mm-hmm. So you gained a lot in that area. And also overseas. Overseas. They love these shows. Oh, huh. my God. Yeah, so if I ever put up, like, my own merchandise from my shop – it's like 90% of those sales, I'm shipping them with a customs price. So I, I pretty much pay out of pocket for somebody to wear my shirt overseas. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder what, like, just Brazil, they love Americana. Central America, yeah. Um, Brazil's probably the biggest one right now. Uh, you know, other parts of Central America, South America. Uh, that's pretty much it. But, but yeah, they love the TV American car culture. Huh. They eat it up. And then sometimes I feel bad about being like, sour towards it like oh man like i didn't have the greatest experience on television this or that and they just want to hear that you did yeah they just want to hear that everything you're like best friends with rich wrongs right (laughs) uh no no it doesn't work out that way almost like maybe the tv show friends like are they really friends outside of the show (laughs) they probably they all drink at the central park no turns out they hate each other they hate each other and unfortunately that's how it is and that's the entertainment business but i'm trying to change that and I want to bring real people back into their real positions, right? So if you're a car guy and you're on TV, at least know what you're talking about, yeah. you know? And the, the only thing is, is there's some car people, beer people, there's whatever genre you're into, you might not be good in front of the camera, though. You might be amazing at what you do. Yeah, there's but plenty of people who know, like, that are experts at what they do, mm-hmm. know a ton about it but cannot articulate yeah. that they're just they're they're not yeah they're or a, if they they can you turn a camera on or put a microphone in front of them and suddenly they know nothing they choke up yeah and i feel bad and it it's really pretty easy you got to just pretend the cameras aren't there um but that's one thing that i'd love to change is like let's get people back into the right positions i mean i will admit jesse james he's a very talented fabricator he knew what he was doing but he knew he had so much confidence that he, he could also be like F you, I'm out. It didn't yeah. matter. And when I met him, we talked about money or something, and he goes, oh, I changed how Discovery pays their employees 
they call it the Jesse James contract because I made more money than anybody else that's ever been on Discovery. Huh. Like he was so confident in saying that. You're like, yeah. damn, yeah, yeah, you're an idiot. But man, I, I guess you knew what you were doing. All right, <laughs> you know, good for you. Take the money and run. Um, but anyway, so th- that whole TV show thing, it never got canceled. It never got canceled. We were going into season three. The pandemic started first week of the pandemic. Nobody really knew what it was. We knew that we were kind of quarantined. We couldn't fly. Um, the people from my production company, it's called Pilgrim Productions. They end up calling me with both the producers on the phone, which is always kind of annoying because they call you like 8 p.m. at night and you're not expecting it. They didn't say, hey, we're going to call you soon. You just get a phone call. Hey, good news. The show's coming back and we're working on the calendar for your scheduling. Uh, okay. And meanwhile, I'm kind of like, dude, we're going to do another season the same way we did season two. <laughs> no, you have an unhappy employee right now. And I hate to break it to you. I want more money because for me to be away from my family and my business for another seven months out of the year, it's got to it's got to work. I saw it needs to be worthwhile. It's got to be worthwhile. Yeah. I saw it go from a 10 p.m. Monday show to a 9 p.m. Tuesday show at on Motor Mondays or whatever it was. But it was on a Tuesday. It was weird how that worked. But a 9 p.m. show. I saw how much camera time I had, and I knew, like, come on, let. I've worked really hard. Is that a really good time slot? Yeah, the Monday. Yeah, okay. And I knew how hard I worked, and I was like, all right, it's time for this. Got It's got to pay off now, because or else I'm just going to go back to building cars where I made more money anyways, and I at least was at home with yeah. my friends and family. Um, Not with two people I don't yeah. want to be around. <laughs> so here's the skinny of it: is that when you sign a contract with Discovery Channel, it's five years. They got you. They no got matter you. what, they got so- you five years but it's five uh, options to exercise that contract so it can go up to five years well they renewed us and they didn't film for an entire 365 days if they don't film for an entire year that contract's void my produce my production company didn't know that we haven't filmed in a year so i talked with my agent he goes well, you don't have a contract anymore so cool he goes well that's a good thing it's a bad thing a good thing is you pretty much can do whatever you want we can redo the contract we can renegotiate and come back so I told him that. I said, well, we got a lot to fix. Because yeah. <laughs> now I was putting my foot down. Like, this is, this is some BS. Like, I'm the one with all the knowledge in this show. And I'm the one that actually knows how a garage works and operates and needs to be changed. We need some credit to come back on this. And we need respect, too. Is this, that whole, it wasn't working out for me. And then they go, well, uh, also, Richard's fired from the show. I said, uh, okay, how is that going to work? And then, of course, they get the normal... LA attitude. Don't worry about that. That's for us to figure out, not you. Oh, okay. So you, we have a star of the show. You fired the star of the show. You won't tell me why he's fired. And you just want me to come back. That's the thing is they expect the world from you. They don't understand that people have their own lives. And it's like, I don't care about television. I really don't like, I mean, helping out people all across the country. That's good. I, I can sleep at night because I know that no matter what, all that TV BS, I at least helped people with their businesses. That was real. But dealing with the drama and the lack of respect for it, no. I don't need that again. So even if it had come back, he, it wasn't going to be Garage no. hat Rehab with Richard Rollins no. anymore. No, he, That's he was fired from Discovery Channel. So Fast and Loud was canceled. Okay, and I didn't know. I guess Garage Rehab, who knows what happened with it, but huh. it's still floating in the air somewhere. And now he's not underneath the Discovery contract. I think he kind of wanted that so he could maybe go to Netflix or oh, that actually, something else. Because yeah. Netflix just throws money <laughs> yeah, at He wants a cooking could, show. He's trying to be a, a chef. Cook. Huh. No, he's not That's, a cook. He's oh, just, he just wants... He wants to be a cook. So he'll, 
cook on Instagram and then become a cook. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you don't I, on Instagram, it's got to be real. Yeah. I feel like there are too many actual good cooks in that genre. Oh, my God. Really are you going to beat Gordon Ramsay? Yeah. That dude is, I, I, from what I see on TV, it seems like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. But he's entertaining. Yeah. He also has the same agent as Richard Rawlings. So, so that that actually could come heavily into play because be. yeah. from my minuscule knowledge of <laughs> of uh, show business that uh, the right agent can actually oh get God. you to places you don't the, belong. Yeah, and, and his <laughs> agent's really good. And I know the people that are underneath that, like I know the people that work for that agent, yeah, they all, they're all doing pretty well. But nobody's going to beat Anthony Bourdain. That dude yeah. was my favorite. Like he really, I think he was passionate about what he did. Gordon Ramsay, I think he's funny and entertaining but when it comes to passion i don't think anybody's beating anthony bourdain when it comes to like food and local culture with the food yeah. i mean like he'll sit down at a waffle house and drink a beer we had the passion he had it the was passion. that yeah. which is a huge part of what makes someone interesting when yeah. they when they're talking about something so he's in the right position right i feel like anthony well was anthony yeah. bourdain was in the right position uh mike wolf from american pickers he is in the right position. And there's a lot of people on TV that are in the wrong position that just shouldn't be there. Yeah. You know, and there's people that are knocking at the door trying to get in like, hey, listen, you know, hear me out. Let's let's do this. You know, another local person that I think is and maybe before having conversations with them, maybe not have thought that. But uh, Brian Voltaggio. Oh, his brother he, does a lot of TV, right? But he's uh, he's on. They, they have a new show. Mike and Brian have oh. a new show on Food Network. Um, I can't remember the name. It's something Brothers, I believe. Oh, maybe it's, it's, it's Brothers w- changed the name of their restaurant five times in one year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what it's called. Because that's all I know what's going on. Yeah. I'm like, hey, let's go to a family meal. No, it's called Vintage now. Oh, now it's called Showroom. All right, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> but he, um, I, actually, I had him on as a guest because I did a, a beer with him with Fourscore. Oh, cool! And like he, there is definitely that passion for food and actually a passion for beer that was even surpassed what I thought. Yeah, that he, he used to always so. have Allagash White on tap. That's one of my favorite beers. That one's that's, good. Yeah, that's a that is a good beer. That's a good beer, man. That's not a cheap beer. I mean, or, or right now, <laughs> my production company's putting Kevin Hart. They gave him his own TV show called, like, Hot Rods with Kevin Hart. So, like, dude, he's a comedian. He already has enough. Now he's a car guy. Oh, okay. (laughs) Let's just make everybody a car guy. Kevin Hart. Jeez, if anybody shouldn't be a car guy, it's that guy. He's wrecked up in Malibu and then ran from the accident. Have you – do you watch cooking shows much? Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, no reservations. But did did you watch – there's a newest show on Netflix called Fresh Fried and Crispy. Yes. And you know what? Perfect example. That dude is in the right position. Yes. Came from YouTube. Yep. Eating fast food. Love that guy. He's awesome. Like, it's not fake. Like, when when he eats something and he's all excited, you could, like... He was he was excited about eating that. It was... That was not for the cameras. What's what's perfect about him is he'll also tell you when something sucks. Like, they were putting tomatoes on his poor boy or whatever the poor boy and he goes now get rid of those red rings of death and (laughs) get rid of the crispy water which he calls lettuce (laughs) that right there and he took over making the the poor boy 
and shoved it full of fried shrimp. Yeah. And he goes, this is how we eat it. Because that's really how we are. Yeah. It's just like eaters, it's like, this is how I want to eat it. Don't make it look fancy and gross. Um, but that guy is, is really cool. I give him kudos for uh, how far, you know, because he worked, he worked hard. Yeah. He made his own path. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, I was, even though, like, I watched that and I really enjoyed it. But I'm still, like, I'm sitting there like, why do I care that this, like, what this guy once and then i looked him up I'm like oh okay he he spent a lot of time okay it'd be like you videos if on you got a beer show on netflix which i what like i was just telling mike that is my new goal okay. i want that to happen but it would make sense this yeah. guy knows about beer you've done this for so many years now it is truly a passion right and it would make sense if you got the position. Yeah. Like, yeah, this dude actually knows about beer. If he tells me what beer is good at a brewery, I'm going to drink it. I don't need to think about it. Do my own research. I ask you. It's yeah. there. I don't have to think now. <laughs> I don't want to think. I just want to drink. Yeah. Which how like this. Um, uh, so I brought up Hank earlier, but so we're, we're at Idiom Brewing Company right now, who's a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, so thank you to them again. Um, they have their light lager, which we didn't get. We're drinking the Under the Sun Kolsch right now, yeah. which was just – that's their occasional beer that they come out with, which is phenomenal. Yeah, um, you could drink like I'm, six of these yeah. at the beach. Be good yeah, to go. this is uh, any time just able to pound them. It's about the color of apple juice, so it's, it's really yeah. light, right? So it doesn't look dark and scary like some – Sometimes you order the wrong beer yeah. at a new at a new brewery. You're like, uh-oh, that's going to be dangerous. It came in a small glass, and it's black-colored. Yeah. <laughs> it's motor oil. <laughs> what is that? Did they scrape that from the bottom of the barrel? Uh, but no, this one looked it, it looked refreshing, and sure enough, it is refreshing. So uh, thank you to you. And yeah. I got a new favorite beer here. Yeah. Um, but on the note of sponsors, let's take uh, one more quick sponsor break. And then uh, we still got a lot of stuff to talk about. So we we'll, basically, we're going to be able to talk as long as uh, you have time yeah, for. Yeah, whatever you want. So we'll be right back. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. 
So back talking about fresh fried and crispy real quick. Yeah. I uh, I recently went to New Orleans. It was the first time I was ever there, and I was flabbergasted that they don't have a New Orleans episode of Fresh Fried and Crispy because basically they deep fry everything there. <laughs> so I don't know. I get that has to be season two because probably season two. Probably saving it too. Yeah. He did Baltimore, and. Uh, it was okay. I was disappointed in the Baltimore uh, they one. They had a host that really wanted to be his, like, the star of the show. And that was annoying. I hate when people peacock so much. It's like, listen, you're not going to get your own show. Just be, yeah. be the guest. Be happy you're a guest on TV and that's it. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Garage Rehab, there was certain, you know, shop owners that wanted to be the star of the oh, show. Oh, yeah. You can definitely yeah. tell that. Or that's annoying. Like, We're going to get our own show after this. Pretty much. I mean, it had to have been nine, nine out of 10 shops thought they were getting their own TV show after this. Like, <laughs> you're kidding, right? So they would go through agencies and they would send letters off to the production company thinking they really were getting a TV show out of this. And it, it actually pissed off Richard Wrongs quite a bit because he's like, listen, go through me and let's see if we can get a show going on. But th- yeah, you would see that. It was bad. So actually... Uh- I'm going to fix your mic real quick. Yeah. That, I keep thinking I need to fix that, and then both breaks I didn't. Um, uh, one thing I, I, I kind of wondered, and it was always seemed to be tiptoed around during the shows, like the financial mm-hmm. arrangement that was done. Were those loans to the... They are loans the, okay. of some sort. Uh, you know, I never really knew exactly what goes on behind the scenes because it's like, well, if they don't pay off the loan, does Richard get to call it like a gas monkey garage shop? Okay, so or it is. Like he is legitimately investing in the. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's there's some. I don't know if it's actually him doing it or if it's the if it's the production company or the network paying into it because there okay. are budgets. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to have to pay it back. Uh, if you don't pay it back, I don't know, they take your shop or take all the equipment back? I don't know. Yeah, I was, I always wondered that because, like, sometimes when they would have the monologues with him, he would make it sound like, okay, I own this now. And then there were some times where, like, the way he talked about it, it used completely different language. Yeah, and that was one of the things. Like, one, they, they kept me in the dark about all of the finances. Okay. But... I feel like that whole numbers game could have been left out of the episode. Either say like, hey, we're loaning you some money. Let's see if you can pay it back. But like, yeah. they went down to the details, like down to the decimal yeah. point. And like, exactly. sometimes Russell was just a straight up jerk about it to the, yeah. <laughs> to the, exactly. the owner. There was a couple times where like I'm watching that, watching episodes. I'm like, God, if I was that guy, I would have just punched him. Yeah. <laughs> and there was many people that probably wanted to. Um, but they get weird on camera, you know, like even if you really are a tough guy, like they get weird. They don't know, like, am I going to get in trouble for punching somebody yeah. or this or that? Well, and you're kind of, you are, I think part of why it annoyed me so much too, is they're in a position, mm-hmm. a, a lower position. They're there being helped. Yep. And like some of the ones they did deserve it. Like they were just sure. jerks. It's like watching, um, kitchen nightmare exactly. or someplace where, like, and they deserved it, but there's some people that are like, why kick them when they're down? Yeah, and that's a lot. It was a lot of punching down yeah. sometimes where I'm watching. I'm like, come on, don't do that. I know. The automotive industry is rough, and it's, it's hard to you know pay your bills every month and then have your family and this and that, and then like all of a sudden you're going through a hard time. The wives don't know about the paperwork and the money and how much debt they're in, and then all that comes out 
in 10 days that we're there. So all these emotions oh, are so happening. those timelines are accurate. Oh, yeah. So we have to build the shop in nine days. That's but, insane. But we're there for 13, but that, that's like the flight to the state that we're going to, yeah. and that's the flight home. So that's like 13 days total, and then we have two days off. We have a Saturday and a Sunday off. So it's 13 days total, nine days total to build the shop or to film, nine days of filming, and then about seven days to build the shop. So you have about a week. I always assume that that was a made-up time frame. No, it's real. And that it was actually no. much, that it's it was real. like a month. That and it, was. it sucked. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, And you have to shoot B-roll. You have to shoot like a beginning scene of like us making the deal. That takes an entire day. Yeah. The, the, the second we're done with the deal, we literally can start organizing the garage, throwing out stuff, getting companies in there. But you have to rush so much. Well, the camera crew might be like, well, we're done, right? Because they work for SAG, so yeah, they can't work after all a union, certain time. Like, yeah. yep, <laughs> and they'll know exactly when they get paid overtime. And the, the main objective is to not pay them overtime. Yeah. So they'll send them home. And then we're there working till midnight, 1 a.m. Because we're on, you know, we're 1099. We're self-contract. Yeah. They don't care how many hours you work. They don't care if you get injured on the job. It doesn't matter. Just pay them. Like, oh, you get a flat rate for your episode. This is what you get. But you have to finish the shop. If you don't finish the shop, they love it too because they can film that. Yeah. Blame it on you. <laughs> but we're so, you know, we're stubborn and we're blue collar workers. I mean, even Russell, he's a blue collar worker at the end of the day. We're going to make sure it gets done because we don't want to look bad. Yeah. So you would work there till 2 a.m. and then you have to be on set at 7 a.m. And they'll say, oh, Chris, by the way, um, we don't want you to have any bags underneath your eyes and you got to have your clothes clean. So we'd be doing laundry in these hotel hallways, doing laundry at 2, 2.30 in the morning, getting clothes out and then didn't have time to dry them. So you dry your boots like on the HVAC in your hotel room. So you'd have <laughs> to blast the heat or the AC depending on where you're at. Dry your boots and then put everything back on, go to work at 7 a.m. It was, it was gross. Or like they would always want your hair done the same way. If you wore a hat the first episode, you're probably pretty lucky you could wear a hat every episode. Yeah. But they want continuity. So I'd have my hair done. You'd be up in the rafters of these shops where it's dusty and there'd be like rat feces falling from the roof. Ugh. Yeah. And so you're in the hotel cleaning out your hair. And you're just like, this sucks, man. <laughs> and, and you're so tired and you're, and you're just head spinning. And you finish it and you, you go to another shop. But yeah, those, those timelines are real. Yeah. And that was, um, I, I, I guess I've just conditioned to think like everything on TV is just fake. Hmm. Um, I hadn't realized that you guys were actually do minus Richard mm -hmm. were actually like physically working. working at the places. Yeah. And Richard, he was able to go home. So he was there, I think two to three days out of the 13 days. So he'd go home, he'd come back, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, me and Russell were there the entire time doing the actual manual labor. Now, actually, towards the end of the last season, season two, we started kind of getting into the rhythm where we had somebody that would come in and clean. Okay. Because sometimes you finish the shop, and even though the floors have just been epoxied and clean and the brand new lifts are put up, everything's covered in dust. So now we're sitting there cleaning, and we're like, this doesn't make sense. Can we get a cleaning crew in here? Yeah. And it's almost like you're begging the production company, like, please help us. We're tired of cleaning windows on the front. Just bring so in somebody. you were literally doing yes, everything. everything. Wow. And that was annoying. Uh, but, yeah, towards the end of the season, we finally started getting some help, and it took that pressure off of us. 
or when they would grind the concrete floors, you have to grind them down like an eighth of an inch before they can put epoxy down. Yeah. To that, get off, get out, make sure there's right. no oil or Everything, contaminants. Yeah. And, and it kind of levels it out anyways. But they would have us go in there to film and you'd breathe it in. And I remember sometimes they'd be like, oh, it's, it's okay to breathe. Like, just don't stay in here too long. Well, I started getting these crazy, like, bronchitis sinus infections. And so I go to the doctor. I'm like, what's going on? And then I told him, I was like, oh, by the way, I'm on the show. We grind concrete. I'm inside the shops. They're like, oh, my God. Yeah, you cannot <laughs> breathe that stuff in. So they figured out that that was an issue because you'd lose your voice. And they go, Chris, what's wrong with your voice? Like, I don't know. You had me breathing in concrete <laughs> yeah. dust. Like, maybe it's all the crap. toxins. Yeah, maybe it's all the crap we're breathing in. So then we knew, like, when they're grinding the floor, don't be inside the shop. You can be outside the shop. So it started kind of getting into a rhythm where it was kind of working. But, yeah, then COVID hit and that ruined was everything. Yeah, I wouldn't even know how to build a shop anymore. It's been so long. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, but, do yeah. You, that's do you think there would have been a season three without COVID? Or oh, 100%. Was there, okay. 100%. And yeah. that still would have been without Richard yeah. at that point or was that who uh, knows you know you never know if that's like uh calling his bluff kind of thing like, oh, we're bringing yeah. back the show without you yeah that kind of thing uh we looked at the same numbers the viewing numbers that I see are the same numbers that everybody else saw right so we saw that we were a top 10 show every Tuesday night so I knew okay the show's working yeah the ratings are there the to be attractive to redo yeah um yeah, so I, I knew it was it was successful, but if they would have compensated me a little bit better and the, the, the little more respect, and then Richard needed to tone it down with his partying, and I think everything would have worked out pretty good. They needed to check him, and I think he was getting checked at that point, but yeah, COVID hit, and it was kind of an excuse for everybody to just close up. Yeah. And that was it. Just wash our hands. Like, maybe yeah. it was a problem maybe child. And like, but I, I don't know. Why does somebody just get canceled off of a show? Like, completely fired. Something happened. Yeah. And I'll never know unless I hang out with him or ask him, or maybe he just was done with his contract. I don't know. But Do you stay in touch with them no. at all, or is it like good riddance? No. I'm, good riddance. I'm, I'm free of you. I'm gone. I'm out. Like, you can call me if, I guess, if you need some help somewhere. Like, there's a couple uh, camera guys and like audio guys I'm still friends with just because they're like, if they're real, yeah, I'm so cool with them. Like, I just sent, um, one of the head camera guys out in Dallas, Texas, one of my t-shirts. He's like, Oh, I want, I want another t-shirt and this, this different color you came out with. I was like, dude, I got you. Like, don't pay for it. I'll send it to you. Cause you're going to wear it on these shows, Yeah, which he does. He wears it as a camera guy. And they're like, what's this Eurotech classics in Dallas, Texas? Well, that's my shop. So yeah, I'll send him shirts and still keep in contact with some of those guys. But I feel bad for them. A lot of those guys lost their jobs when COVID hit. They had to file for unemployment. Yeah, because there's nothing there for them nothing. to do. They weren't allowed to film anything. They ended up picking one show, and it was like Street Outlaws, like New Orleans or something like that, or Memphis. And that was the only show the production company could send one camera guy instead of three, like one audio guy. So it was a small crew. Yeah. And then they filmed that during COVID. All the other shows were put on hiatus. I, um, I absolutely love the show Forged in Fire. And they seem to be able to, like, they just kept going it right. seemed like because there was all kinds of episodes that were filmed during that may have been whatever that production company is maybe that's the show they picked okay to like continue rolling with yeah you know, like street of laws the... was always number one so of course they're going to stay with their number one show yeah garage rehab was a traveling show so for covid that wouldn't have worked you're traveling yeah the 
the yeah. logistics nah. just obviously aren't going to work. work so. And you're dealing like if you already had your schedule set out, you have no idea what state that you nope. plan to go to, what their restrictions are. Yeah, or, it would have been too difficult. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it just ended. But yeah, a lot of people ask me like, oh, do you still stay in contact with Richard? It's like, I didn't, we didn't talk back then. <laughs> like a little bit, like we were kind of cool. If it was just me and him hanging out, like, yeah, we were all right. But if you he know. had someone to show off for. It, yeah. I mean, he's not, I'm not going to be a guy that like I call to go get a beer with. Yeah. <laughs> so did you enjoy the experience at all? Yeah. Like, do you want, like, do you have aspirations of being in TV further or do yeah. you like the life of just running Eurotech? Um, a little bit of both. I, I think the. The issue is I think I actually felt pretty good at what I was doing, like on camera. I was like, wow, this actually feels kind of natural. I like this. Yeah. And I want to continue doing it. That show just didn't flow right. But I knew that this is just a stepping stone to get to the next one. Yeah. Uh, what I'd love to do is like uh, like a Meekum or Barrett Jackson, something like that, like an auction style show where I'm talking about the cars, the history of the cars. Yeah. And, and the market and, and just... You know, the more of like an educational exactly. aspect than more. Yeah. I mean, basically, garage rehab falls into the drama genre. Like it's, you're watching it because there is, and it's a build show. Yeah, I'm not a build guy. You know, I'm not a construction guy. I don't want to do this stuff. Like, I like the talking about cars. That's my favorite. You know, that's my true passion. Nobody's passion is automotive garages. That's yeah. weird. Like, I love lifts and welding equipment. Like, no, I mean, I love it for the cars. Uh, so that's where I think I'd love to go. I know Motor Trend's doing some big things with their app. Like I said, Barrett Jackson, they got a, a place up in Pennsylvania and Meekum. Probably do something like that. Uh, yeah, no, the, the experience was great. You know, we visited Key West and Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Dallas, L.A., Bakersfield, California, the Dakotas, Galveston, Texas. We saw all these great places, got to experience just, I mean, within two years, just a lifetime of traveling. Yeah. It's awesome. But you're still working. You know, there's only so much fun you can have. You have a Saturday and a Sunday. And I would always, I had to rent a car and I would always go off and do my own thing. This is like one, I don't think they really wanted you hanging out with the crew, but they, they were treated it like spring break. So they would just party way too hard and yeah. they'd always get into trouble. So I would just go off on my own and explore. So I would check out like local junkyards. I'd check out local shops that I was into. Like, oh, it's like an old Porsche shop in LA. I'm going to go check this out. And so I met a lot of awesome people by just doing that just those two days down i had on the episode i'd go and meet these people i was friends with on instagram you know these internet people and then we yeah. became friends and got to really have fun doing that what was the coolest experience that the show afforded you uh, so there's actually a, a porsche show out in los angeles called luftekult which is german for air-cooled so it's only for old Porsches. And at the time I'm filming an episode in, uh, where is that? Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Baton yeah. Rouge. So I was out in Baton Northern, I think they're in some Northern Louisiana. Yeah. We're out in Baton Rouge and my Porsche shows coming up in LA and I had a week off or so. So I changed my flight. They'll let you change your flight. You don't have to fly home. They'll pay for your flight to a different, they don't care. They're paying for the flight. 
So I changed my flight to LA and I had my brother fly out from Dulles to LA and we meet like almost at the exact same time in Los Angeles. I rented like a little Audi SUV and we went out to this local Porsche show called Luftecult. And the person that started this show is Patrick Dempsey. You know, from Can't Buy Me Love, the yes, 80s movies, okay. McDreamy. I, I, uh, yes. So he's a giant Porsche fan. I was like, I know that name. I know. Yeah. How do you not? Like, why are you not connecting the dots of who? <laughs> so he started this show. That's really cool. Yeah. And I go out there and I'm just like in heaven. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe like because, you know, because of television, I'm out here. I'm flying over here to Luftecult and there's Patrick Dempsey. I meet Patrick Dempsey. I met uh, Steve McQueen's son. Nice. Right? So that was super cool. Uh, met Jerry Seinfeld because he was out there because he's a giant Porsche yeah. fan. Um, but a lot of connector connections just out there. Meet what people. is Jerry Seinfeld like in person? Well, because he seems like someone that could swing far to either direction. Yeah. I, like his like his so immense I had a, success I had a could technique. have gone to his head or he's just a great guy. I had a technique. I saw him. And nobody else did. I'd recognize him right away. I was like, oh, he's wearing his little hat, like low. He's yeah. got his glasses on. I knew who it was. And he's with a guy that I, was, I, I knew was the writer of Seinfeld. So go, oh, here's the trick. Go over and introduce myself to the writer of Seinfeld, not Jerry. Yeah. Jerry's <laughs> right next to him, but just go up to this dude. So I go up to him, and right away we hit it off, this writer and me. And... He's like, oh, so what do you do? I said, oh, I'm on a TV show called Garage Rehab and the Discovery Channel. I was like, that's great. What's your Instagram? I love following that kind of stuff. So here we are swapping Instagrams, and Jerry's standing right at us like, what's going on here? <laughs> I just figured, like, give him his space. Yeah. He always gets bombarded. And then afterwards, I said, hey, Jerry, what's up? Oh, hey, man. I said, <laughs> oh, enjoying the cars? Yeah. And then I let him go. Unfortunately, after that incident, because there were some people taking photos, after that incident, he did get bombarded with people. Oh. Kind of my fault. Yeah. Okay. But I didn't bother him. I just kind of rolled out. Yeah. I met the writer, and I'm still friends with the writer to this nice. day. Yeah. He, he did the Soup Nazi episode. <laughs> this writer. One of the iconic episodes yeah. of. <laughs> Which was a true, true story, too. Well, I think they all were, weren't they? Or at yeah, least pretty loosely much. based on. Pretty much. It's all experiences from the writers. I know uh, Festivus was actually like a writer's father's thing he did. That's hilarious. Using, using an aluminum pole. <laughs> I, like, I'm sure my kids will try to make me out to sound insane and do goofy things, but that, that would definitely take the cake if that was one of your dads i know larry larry david would always say like listen you have a dry erase board write down the craziest thing that's ever happened to you and they would they would withhold they're like no no you know oh i got this thing i got to do my dad always has this thing called festivus and they go whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> why are you holding back on what that? is what the festivus <laughs> yeah i don't know my dad says like he doesn't believe in gifts and that we should not have a christmas tree and have an aluminum pole and say well we we got to make this an episode <laughs> so it'd be stories like that where they would just come out fluidly not knowing that this is a thing or the guy that went to go get soup and it's like oh if you don't order correctly you, they'll take the soup from you wait what yeah it's right <laughs> right across the street from 30 rock nbc like if you don't order the soup correctly they're gonna take the soup so that turned into this story and then they really started feeling like all right we got to dig deep in our history and see what kind of crazy yeah. things happened to us what is uh, our shows like garage rehab scripted at all 
or is there like a out, oh, yeah. or like a rough outline of what yeah we have we have definitely um like a platform we have to follow okay scripted like it, you had to be the hustle <laughs> oh no that came out that came out that actually was um that was only in the first few yeah of the first season that they referred to you because they what did they call i can't remember what what the other two's right roles well, were it was a, a guy out in nashville tennessee we were doing a this looked fake but it was real as can be we were in nashville tennessee we we're doing a garage and this lady shows up in a maserati convertible and starts screaming. We got all the cameras rolling and everything. Starts screaming like, this guy owes me money. I remember that I episode now. I own those lifts. I own his yeah. equipment in there. So we go over to John. We're like, John, what, what the hell is going on? Who is this lady? And she was dressed kind of scandalous and everything. I was like, this is weird. Something weird is going on. Sure enough, she's had two court cases with him where she loaned him money to start this shop and he never paid it back. When that happens, production has to stop. I, I don't know why the legalities, somebody else owns the equipment, like production has to stop. So this was like a big deal. And we asked John, we're like, how much do you owe her? He says, five grand. I said, five grand? Five grand? I was like, uh, maybe. That's I'll, an easy problem to make go away. <laughs> I go, John, I think we could sell off your crappy cars here and get five grand. And that was all in the show mm -hmm. too, right? If I remember correctly. And so then I asked him, I go, listen, all you want is to pay her off, right? He goes, yeah. I go, you don't care about anything here? Nope. Okay, okay, all right. Give me the opportunity to sell off everything you got. If you don't care what I sell it for, then we're, we're even Stevens. And I said, do you have titles to the cars? He goes, I do. I go, bring me the titles, bring me the keys, but don't ask me what I sell it for. So in 24 hours, I went on my personal Facebook page, went on Marketplace. It was like kind of when Marketplace was new too. And I took photos of the, the cars and like this crappy dirt bike and the lift and it made five thousand five hundred dollars in one day <laughs> they were shocked i came in the next morning i had a wad of cash i never let anybody else touch that cash too i controlled the cash i had it all and i handed it to them and they wanted to film that but richard got to hand it to them like a wow that's pretty messed up man like i they got my cell phone number now like it's on my facebook yeah i sold all these things i did it I had to get all the information for it. They filmed some of it, of me selling these cars, but Richard handed the money. I just thought that was kind of cruddy. Like another thing, like take, take another thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and then there was a remaining amount of money. And I'm like, cool, give this to John, the owner. He needs it more than anybody. He needs a little bump in money. <sighs> nah, we're gonna use it for a production party. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> never saw the dime. Not a slice of pizza, nothing. I don't know where the money went. It gone. So I didn't do it again. I said, so you just want me to keep doing this? No, I could make $20,000 with the amount of stuff that we throw out of here. Why do it if it doesn't go to the owners? I'm not yeah. doing it again. Well, we need it towards our budget that, bullshit, I'm not doing it, sorry. You can find somebody else to sell this stuff. So they, they came up with the nickname, you know, Chris the Hustle. Okay, great, yeah, but I know how to hustle like for real, like this is just, this is, natural to me yeah. I can make money the guy John I'm still like really good friends with to, to this day because I, I squashed his debt with yeah. that lady she got paid cash $5,000 so she was happy like how the hell like 24 hours later she gets five grand cash and I sold off like a Dodge Charger I sold off some stuff but I had a dirt bike 
a little uh, little Honda like 50 or something. I'm like, oh, I know dirt bikes sell. I had it for sale. I think it was 500 bucks. Had somebody coming. Russell decides I'm gonna pick up a dumpster and then crush the dirt bike with the dumpster to get my reaction, which is just stupid because you're like, I'm trying to make the money for yeah the, for the guy we're trying to help and for the show yeah like we can't do this episode. and you're you're just trying to piss me off. So he did it and they filmed me. You know, they quickly turned the cameras on me. Like, what is Chris gonna think? They crushed the dirt bike. And I go, nah, I'll still sell it. <laughs> and I sold it for like 250 for bucks. Yeah, sold it. I said, see, can still sell it. They did that again in Bakersfield, California. He crushed a VW I had for sale. I had to sell like these VWs or whatever. He crushed it with a forklift. He lifted it all the way up as high as a forklift would go and dropped this Volkswagen to get my reaction. And uh, right when he did it, like on film, I don't know if they filmed it, but I think they did on film. I just pick up my phone. I called the guy who was coming out like an hour away to pick it up. And I said, sorry, they just crushed your car. <laughs> what? I said, I don't, I don't know. They, they wanted me to get mad and like yeah. react. I was just like, I'm not going to do that. This is stupid. Like, you're just wrecking good things now. Like, there's no reason. Like, yeah. Somebody wanted that. Yeah, I've just to add some for, drama. Yeah, just to, to add it. drama. You know, so you wrecked a dirt bike. Okay, so now we're selling a dirt bike that got bent handlebars and broken fairings. Somebody's still going to fix it. But you're just being stupid now. Yeah. And I remember he dropped the forklift or whatever it was he dropped on it. He dropped the dumpster on it and then leaves it. So I just lifted up the dumpster, slid the dirt bike out, leaned it back up, a, up against the dumpster and sold it. <laughs> Took new pictures. Yeah, but it I, looks like this now. <laughs> I knew what he was doing. And I'm like, the one thing about me is like, I know I can have a temper and yeah. I don't want to see that on TV. Yeah. Because like, if we, don't if we be ball, it's going to be bad. Like, let's not do that. That's stupid. Like, come on. Do your job. I do my job. We're fine. Um, Especially, too, because even... Like, you're the one that ends up looking bad. Yeah. Even though it was like a rational response to someone try, like pushing yeah. your buttons, you still end up being the one that looks bad. Yeah, you can easily. And, uh, but yeah, you know, some of these owners, like I said, I feel bad for them. And they almost don't see the value in the junk they have. They just don't. And I'm there to like wake them up about it. There was a lady that had a 68 or 69 Camaro. It was all primers, a pr complete project car. She's like, I'm holding on to this for one day. We're going to restore it. So that's great. I'm sure the car is worth a lot of money. But I added up how much square footage you have. And then I added up how much square footage that car takes up inside the shop. And it was real quick to open up her eyes and go, let's say your car is worth $8,000. Well, guess how much it's costing you? Once they figure that out, that that shop space can make you like $5,000 a month if you put a lift there. Yeah. I go, so, Let, let's do that. And then all of a sudden they're cool. Not to mention you get your shop space back. That project car that looks cool to you looks like junk to any other shop owner. So get it out of there. And now you're probably you, never going to, and, if it's been sitting there forever, and now you're you don't never have to going do it. to. Yeah. It's peace of mind. It's, it's out of the way. It's one less thing you got to build. What, um, what percentage of those garages kept up and did well after being rehabbed kept i would uh i would say maybe 70 percent so it's i mean that's a good success yeah rate. there's only been a couple of that were closing down but you almost felt it when you were out there they were already checked out yeah, they, yeah. like this was their last ditch effort mm -hmm. but weren't really really trying to save it no the and there was some that, yeah, they just couldn't adapt to the changes either. The guy in Nashville, 
this guy, John, I really did feel bad for him. Like during the pandemic, like he just, he struggled and he was sending me messages. He actually called me. He goes, can I call you? I said, yeah, of course. He calls me. He goes, any advice on what to do next? Like we're trying to get customers in the door. We're trying to, and I said, listen, it's just you there. That's hard, man. Yeah. Like, and you're hiring employees, but like, they, you know, you can't pay them or they leave after a week. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it just might be a bad time right now. Come back yeah. at it well, another time. I mean, no one's driving. I also, no one needs maintenance done. They like, didn't. <laughs> I also said, don't feel ashamed, like, to close down. Yeah. Don't feel like you failed. Dude, you tried everything. You got on TV. We did this. We fixed up the entire shop. That doesn't mean that you're instant success. Like, you're just going to be making millions of dollars. It's still tough work. After we leave, you have to go to work, like, right away. Yeah, you have some new equipment. You got to go to work right away, and it and it can still be tough. So he didn't make it. Um, trying to, th- I don't really follow up with them. You know, it's not. I mean, like yeah. we're friends, but like I'm not going to ask them. Like, you guys making money? Like, <laughs> no. That that was also actually one of the things I found as a tur- turn off was the amount of times Richard said money. Money. He likes money. <laughs> like, he does like money. <laughs> Like it was, it was like every other sentence. It seemed like I think he's supposed to be the money guy. Yeah, but still, it's like okay, we get it. You like the oh, shop okay. needs to be profitable. Like, but so, so let's say you're intimidated by somebody like me that actually knows about garages and cars. You almost get weird, and you don't know what else to talk about. You just double down on double what you down. Know. Like, listen, yeah. I'm gonna be the guy that gives you money. This and that, like. Because we're we're there as experts, right? So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But I think he wants deep down. I think he did always want to be that guy that actually runs an independent shop. But see, the thing is, Gas Monkey Garage isn't a real shop. It was a TV studio. It built cars for television. There's those aren't customer cars. Uh, like you can't go there and get your oil changed. You can't walk up and get like a price quote on to do axles or tires or brakes. No. There's a merchandise store next to the gas station you can go there and spend money on t-shirts and and pint glasses but the garage is just a tv studio so a lot of people think like they build amazing cars yeah they're they have a budget and it's on tv and what you see on tv always looks perfect yeah (laughs) you go drive the cars not gonna drive that great (laughs) not when you speed through them like that um but yeah so like you know my shop we we do build cars and it it's not one hour of tv to build them it takes months and months and months and a lot of hard work uh but yeah he was always about money i've uh, that's that was um from watching youtube a lot yeah uh something i didn't realize that building a car takes so long because i've never done that like i've had cars where you do like superficial modifications to like maybe throw on some coilovers or an exhaust and things but never like an actual full build where like there's some youtube channels i watch where like the person was going like getting something custom made right and they talk about like okay this will be ready in like a year (laughs) yeah yeah pretty much i mean yeah building these cars takes forever and i think tv kind of ruined that for people like oh i i could build that i see it on tv no man it's smoke and mirrors dude yeah because like one of them it was turning um a jeep gladiator into a six by six yeah and that was i think that was like a year long build i'm I'm sure and like it makes sense but in my mind like i wouldn't have thought like 
that that's how long it takes. Yeah, until... I, I mean, when it comes to like me building cars, my personal cars, it's whenever I have free time. Yeah. So I'll try to do something, you know, if I have a weekend free, I'll do it here. So it takes about two years from when like the car kind of looks like crap when I buy it to like where now it looks nice and it can turn a profit. Uh, so I'll do it about every two years. I'll build myself a personal car. For my shop though, we build cars for customers so I can focus all of my energy on those. And yeah. usually about three to four weeks, we can finish a car. It, but you're not you're not doing like full no, fabrication. No, no. It's more of like restoration. This is like a car that's been sitting in a barn for 10 years. And then I have to get it running, driving, cleaned up, some upholstery work, yeah. some little bit of paint work, tire suspension brakes, get them back on the road safely again. It's about a month. Yeah. So we do a lot of that. We're like, we're not going to do full restorations because there's only two of us. Yeah. We've done that. It takes years and customers, you know, they won't be happy with you when it takes years. So yeah. you're like, all right, we do what's called like a rolling restoration. Okay. Does the car look like I could get it running fairly quick and get it, you know, safely driving, shifting, braking, and then clean it up for them? Yeah. And then we'll, then we'll take on the project. So and we pick the, and choose. What is your specialty? European classic cars. Yeah. So British, British cars. Uh, German cars and Italian cars. That's the specialty. And mainly all older, like all older. Yeah. Like yeah, pre pre nineties, pre nine. I mean, we, for years and years and years, I worked on newer Volkswagens and newer BMWs. Eh, th I don't know. It's kind of boring and it's a lot of check engine light stuff. A lot of like computer diagnostics. Uh, so when I first started in 2003 with my shop, it was all old cars. And then sometime around 2008, we changed it to the newer stuff, which was cool. It paid the bills. But now with the pandemic and all of that, like a lot of guys wanted to get their old cars fixed up again. And a lot of people shut down their businesses that specialized in that. So it only took like two shops locally to close down. Or that, just that made us the only one. Yeah. Nice. So we're like, okay, now we're going to. So it's always that adapter die, right? Always constantly be rebranding and, and reinventing yourself yeah. all the time as a business. I mean, even with breweries, it can get stagnant. Yeah. You know, change some things around, come out with some new stuff and, and do some new things and, uh, you know, maybe a new logo, things like that. Get people's attention again. Same thing with the automotive industry. Just nobody does it with the automotive industry. Yeah. So basically paying attention to what the market wants yeah. and giving it to them. Okay. So 80s and cars are super popular right now. 80s cars. Yeah. I, I had that recently thinking like. Like thinking back to my youth, the cars I had that I absolutely loved, thinking like I could get one now and it would be cheap. Yeah. And like, th like I had an '89 Thunderbird. Oh yeah. I loved that car. And in my mind, like, who would want one now? And I go and look, and like, they're ridiculously yeah. expensive for what they are. I was like, all right, I don't, I don't want. <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's it's the only time machine that we can have. We can actually go back in time. Yeah. If we buy a car from the '80s, you drive it, you put that cassette into the cassette player and now you're in the 80s it's it's just like that it's like our, our little time machines and the 80s cars are really popular right now only because the 60s and 70s cars are still owned by the boomers and they're still really expensive yeah like unattainable unattainable right so these cars used to be cheap and now they're expensive so then guys our age go oh i kind of want a, a toy to play with i always wanted a vw golf or a saab 900 turbo or a fox body five liter mustang they look and they go, oh, so it's three to five grand. Sounds good to uh, me. Any more though? Yeah, like but even at, a couple years ago, yeah. so they were buying them and then they'd fix them up. But then there was people. I mean, the, the prices went up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like a, a rising tide lifts all boats. 
So if cars from the 70s go up, cars from the 80s, now I'm starting to see cars from the early 2000s going up. Well, I, we've we've talked about them previously, the uh, f- end of the, f- the fourth gen um, Toyota 4Runners. Yeah, yeah or third man. Gen. No, four, so for, fourth gen. Fourth gen. When I, I think when we first, like you had posted a picture and we talked about it a little bit, I was looking and I found like a low mileage one, like 70,000 miles on oh, it, great. a V8 Just limited. A yeah. It was like $10,000. I just looked the other day. I was like, I, I, I want to get one. Yeah. It was like 15 grand yeah. for one. It had 200,000 miles. Right. Like, they all, it's insane how much. All SUVs got really expensive the past year. Well, sports cars, what are you going to do yeah. with them? You can't take your family anywhere with them. You know, you can't go adventuring with them or camping with them. So SUVs prices went crazy. Toyotas in general. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I, what I wish I could those. go back in time and be like, Chris, just buy that yeah. Forerunner because you want it and you're never going to find anything that low mileage and that cheap. Yeah. And they're good trucks. You know, they used some of them had a V8 motor, which the, is it a, was one with the V8. It was the what two. What's that? Oh. 4.7 liter. Yeah, but what was the... Out of the Tundra. Yeah, what was the designation of that engine, though? I, can't, I can never remember. Oh, the 2UZ? Yeah, 2UZ. Yeah. And it's like, like basically will run forever. Run forever. They use it in like the Lexus 470s yeah. and things like that. Yeah, they're great motor. Um, timing belt motor. So you do the timing belt on them and you're good to go. I bought mine locally from a guy that lived behind Family Meal. I actually met him in the Family Meal parking lot and then went to that craft beer store after i bought the district east district east also a sponsored podcast great place to buy your beer only place in frederick to buy your beer i think they had like a beer cooler quick cooler you put a beer in there and it gets cool fast it's a it's a little uh tub of water like really cold water it's a reverse microwave yeah (laughs) which was on the movie haggard yeah Where Brandon DiCamillo comes up with the invention of the reverse microwave. You they mean had a, a reverse, freezer? Yeah, they had a reverse wasn't microwave. That, that was a line in that, right? Where he was like, you mean a freezer? A freezer, yeah. <laughs> so they have a reverse microwave. Well, that was cool. But yeah, I bought the, the Forerunner off the guy. And it was all beat up. You know, it was beat up, but it had good bones, right? So yeah. the, the frame was good. The paint was decent. Uh, I ended up fixing it all up. Right? Doing a lift kit, wheels, tires, paint correction. Did everything on this thing. The owner saw it the other day. The old owner was like, oh, my God. He was shocked. So he's taking photos of it. He ended up buying a newer Toyota. So we're still friends to the day, nice. today uh, just because I told him, I was like, I'm going to take good care of it and fix it all up. And that's my daily driver now. Well, that's why I even told my wife. I was like, I want a 2006 to 2009 Forerunner. Yeah. Like, why? What kind of aspiration is that? I was like, they're awesome. Yeah. And you won't. I mean, if you buy it right, you won't have a car payment. Yeah. That's I, important. And if I would have done it a year ago, I would have been really smart too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was stupid and didn't buy that. And now they're ridiculously expensive, like every used car. That's, that's how cars go, man. Like, you got to be quick with it. And if you pay attention to the trends, you'll lose money, right? So if you buy a car when it's popular, yeah. that's the word. You almost got to think ahead of the time. Like, what car do I like now that, you know, okay, it's not going to break the bank, but I'll enjoy driving it. Those are always the cars that will go up in value. Yeah. You know, so I do that now. I'm doing a lot of what's called BMW E46, which is like from 2000 to 2006, like that model year. Well, I guess it's like 90, 99 to 2006, whatever it is. I buy those, fix them up because it's still a manual car, rear wheel drive, some of them. So you got a manual car, rear wheel drive without all of the 
bells and whistles. Yeah, all the computer-controlled yeah. aids. and So it's still an analog car, and to be honest, there's getting fewer and fewer of those cars left, so we have to save them. Yeah. So we'll, we'll fix them up, save them, and then sometimes sell them. Yeah, those are, I would I would bet those are really getting hot now. Yeah. As a track day cars or even just as something to take out spirited driving. Yeah, so they're still right around that like five to seventy five hundred dollar range. So that, still pretty cheap. Pretty as cheap. They got airbags. Popular cars go now. They got ABS. Some of them have four doors. Still still rear wheel drive, straight six engine. So reliability cheap entry point to get in and they're still safe enough you could put a baby seat in the back and you won't have a car payment so a lot of people are figuring that out now eventually after a year or two these things might be 10 grand and you go oh what happened to those they were there they were cheap yeah i wish i could go back in time and buy that forerunner yeah or you could buy bitcoin (laughs) yeah uh, (laughs) things like that that was (laughs) Bitcoin's one of those things I like I kicked myself in the ass for not getting on board with because when it first came out like I started to set up a server oh, you to did? to oh, mine Bitcoin and I'm like this is stupid it's never going anywhere cuz like it was one step that was like slightly difficult so I just abandoned the idea and now I like I would have a ton of money. I know they say that like oh if you would have you know invested five dollars back in two thousand eight yeah, or something. But I would have spent I would have cashed in and spent that money so many times well, over. But also <laughs> it wasn't that accessible to buy. No, it wasn't. It was hard. Okay, now it's easy to buy. It. Yeah. So I mean, and that's part of why it it goes up so quickly and it you know Elon Musk tweets and yeah <laughs> yeah I know it's weird cryptocurrency. I mean I look at you know, stocks and everything. I have some stocks and crypto and I look and the amount of profit you make, it's okay. But what I make when I deal with cars and car parts, is unbelievably better. But that's because you know it. I know it. If you knew if I stocks knew, and that stuff, yeah. you would make a ton of money so there. So I should but stick to what I know yeah. is the lesson I learned on that. Like, uh, wait, so I made a hundred bucks in two weeks, but I made a thousand dollars dealing with cars in a week. Like, yeah, yeah I'm going to stick with the car stuff. Because well, yeah. that, that's one of those things like just you have the knowledge mm-hmm. that affords you to be able to make that money. Because like, yeah. you, you know what people are after or you know this is something I can fix up for a decent amount of money and turn it for a profit. Yeah. Like yep. me, if I tried to do that, I, I would absolutely lose money on it. Yeah. You could lose quickly. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's 100%. No question. If I got, if I got into my head that I'm going to start trying to make money off of cars, I would lose. <laughs> I, to this day, I've never lost on a car because I, I'm very careful with my money when it comes to like, what kind of car I'm going to invest in. Yeah. Um, and it's been great. I mean, it's kind of like a side hustle, you know. I also do, you know, I've done like vintage clothing before. You know, I had like that pop-up oh, yeah. down I, at that it was, brewery. It was that old mother, old right? Old mother, yeah. yeah. Yeah, threw a pop-up there. That was pretty cool. Um, I got into vintage sneakers for a while. Yeah, those are other categories, like just knowing the trends. You can, or being, it. I actually just, if you're a member of that culture, you got to be, can, yeah, and you learn, you research, right? So I knew, okay, so I, I was collecting, I had a lot of Adidas trainers. So I had a lot of those. That was cool. Then I got into Jordans. And then I, of course, went way above and researched way too much about it. And I go, okay, so now I know I want a 1994 Air Jordan 1. So uh, I did all my research and I figured out, okay, this guy's got a pair of them, $700. 
my fiance is like, you're crazy if you spend $700 on pairs. She's like, no, no, no. These, these are the ones trust I want. Trust me. Trust me. It's the right colorway. It's size 11. It's good to go. Sent the 700 bucks. He sends me the shoes. They end up coming in the original box. I didn't know they were coming in the original box. So now I have the original box of the shoe. Inside is the original packing Air Jordan paper and this little postcard they gave you back in 1994, 1995. Guessing you sold all of that for 700 bucks and kept the shoes. I, I oh. wore them to a car show twice maybe, like a, a local Cars and Coffee. Actually, a place called Rad Pies, which I think is oh, yeah. Cushwall uh, it's, Yeah, it's up at Cushwall. Yeah, so I went to a- Hey, there's the tie-in for breweries. Cushwall holds uh, Cars and Coffee. There we go. So I went <laughs> to the Cars and Coffee. I'm wearing these $700 pairs of shoes. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. And I started thinking, I can't wear these anymore. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I ended up making a YouTube video of the shoes, putting them up on eBay, and sold them 30 days later for $1,900. Jeez. Yeah. So now, you know, my girl and some of my friends are like, you're crazy for buying the shoes. They're like, holy crap. What, you're what's a the deal genius for buying those shoes. I said, I was like, <laughs> it's because it was, they're getting really popular are vintage Jordans that you can wear. So they're called wearable. Some are so crusty and the rubber's dried out, you can't wear them. Okay. So they're for display purposes only. These were 100% wearable, and I wore them to a car show. I drove a car in them. I had all these videos of them. I did a YouTube video of showing the flex of the shoe and the box with the original Champs Sports price tag on it. Champs. Champs. <laughs> so I did all that, and I got it out of my system. I don't do it anymore. Yeah. They're also anomalies. I can't go do that today, buy them for 700 something. That was yeah, like probably one time. It's a unicorn. Can't do it I have time. a pair of original pumps. Oh, yeah. I still, I wear, they used to be my drinking shoes. I would always wear them to beer festivals. I got berated once for wearing them. Yeah. Do you still have the box to them? No, I didn't have the box. Oh, I do have a vintage Reebok box, but not to a pump. Yeah. There was a guy that came up to me and, um, he's like, do you have any idea what you're wearing? I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm wearing. Yeah. I couldn't afford them as a kid and now I can't. Yeah. And, and actually they were given to me by someone's wife. <laughs> they had a little hexalite in the bottom heel. Yep. Like a little teeny window. Yep. They didn't give you much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I can't. Why would you wear those? I was like, because I don't care. Yeah. Like, that's I, the best. I want, like, I'm, I'm not a sneakerhead, but I loved pumps when I was a kid and I couldn't, like, my parents couldn't afford to buy them for me. And you found And I out. have some now and I'm going to wear them. They are uncomfortable, but I'm going to wear them. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, the sneaker thing was big and um, the vintage clothes, you know, I, uh, I was doing a lot of Harley Davidson t-shirts because we're in Western Maryland. So up at my shop, there's all these Harley guys. I started seeing all these kids wearing Harley t-shirts. I'm like, what the hell? You're wearing those old things? So, you know, capitalize on it. Yeah. I went to go buy three Harley Davidson t-shirts at a yard sale. Talk with the guys. I ended up buying one of their motorcycles that day. It was a Triumph Chopper. It was old. It was ratty. It was everything else. It was right down the street from my shop. And they said, you know you want this bike. I said, no, I'm here for the T-shirts. We'll buy three T-shirts off you. That's what you got. It's three T-shirts. I don't want the bike. Come on. I go, well, uh, how much? Well, what do you got on you? So I opened up my wallet, and I had 370 380 bucks. I go, that's what I got. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> I was like, all right. Did it run? No. Or did, okay. It was a 70s Triumph Chopper. But it was cool looking. So I gave him the money. I also bought the three Harley Davidson. Did you make a wind chime out of it? No, 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 <laughs> I did not. Oh my God, what a disaster. So I went to my shop, grabbed the truck, picked up this Triumph chopper. That day I put it on my Instagram and somebody goes, I know the original builder of that bike from the early nineties. 
that person contacted me a day later with Polaroid photos of him building that bike. Goes, I want that bike back. So I ended up like, we did a thousand bucks cash. Nice. <laughs> so I bought the bike for let's, let's say 400, right? So I bought it for 400. Uh, sell it for a thousand the next day. And this guy's reunited with the bike that he built in the early 90s, which is awesome. Yeah. And he's probably thinking he got an amazing deal for that it. He, yeah. I mean, because he goes, you, you got to make a profit. And I go, yeah, I took my Saturday off. I had to go and get my truck, haul it over here, yeah. bring it here, take photos of it, do all these things. All right. So I, I made my profit. A week later, one of the old guys that was at that yard sale goes, oh, I told you I had more T-shirts. And he drops off three black trash bags full of Harley Davidson T-shirts. I take one look inside and I realize they're all from the 80s, at least the ones on the top. I go, what do you want for me? He goes, I don't know, 100 bucks. Okay. So in my wallet, I had a $100 bill, pay him 100 bucks. I take all the t-shirts out. I realize, okay, this is pretty impressive. There's 74 t-shirts here. I can't take photos of 74 t-shirts. So I did a video, did a full video of 74 t-shirts on the shop floor, flip them over, show all the front, show all the back, put them up. Week later, guy drives eight hours one way from Ohio, pays uh, 3,000 cash. Jeez. 3,000 cash for them. I had them listed for more actually on eBay because I was going to have to ship 74 t-shirts. But I kept getting offers on five of them for $2,500. So I knew five of that 74, 75 t-shirts were, were worth were really worth it. Yeah. But once again, this is a once, I can't do this every day. It's like every once in a while, you, you, yeah, you, you get, get these little deals, you make your money, you have fun doing it. You, I learned all this about clothing in, in a short amount of time and it's pretty neat. That's funny. I don't, I don't know anything well enough to do that. Beer. Yeah, you really can't flip beer. What, what's, up with <laughs> that, what's up with that Vermont heavy topper that people go crazy over? I mean, it's, a, it's super good, but like the, there's so much good beer available everywhere. Like the, the market for like those super sought after beers are kind of... They're, they're not held up like they used to be. Like, people still want to try it, but yeah. it's not like... Although they're still... I mean, there are people that make their living off of driving out to, like, 450 North in Indiana, filling up a box truck with the of that release and then selling it for $10 a can so people on do the internet. Do that. Yeah, people do do that. Okay. They're often looked down upon by yeah. most of... <laughs> the rest of the community <laughs> of course but yeah if there's a way to make money i mean i guess they're gonna do it i just always remember the vermont thing people would buy and buy the cases yeah freak out bring them back here and then they would trade yeah i mean things. there's still you could still trade heady toppers and yeah. i actually they have they because that used to be all they made um, but now they have a bunch of different beers that they, they expand a lot and make other okay. things. So is it really good? Um, then? Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's uh, worth, it's one of those beers. It's worth it. The hype lives up. It lives up to its hype. But they have another one called focal banger that I like better than heady topper. Gee, see, you know a lot about beer. Yeah, I know it decent enough. Okay. So <laughs> not just, not just Budweiser and high noons. No, <laughs> I can't, I couldn't tell you the last time I had a Budweiser. Not bad. Slam them down. You can drink ten they, of them they and serve, then be fine the next yeah, day. Yeah, I mean they serve their purpose. And I'm not. I'm not gonna look down on anyone that drinks Budweiser. It's just I don't. Be, there's been some times I've gone to. What What did I just get recently? The um, Steady Eddie. Oh, from Union. Yeah, I got a six pack of that. 
and I had three of those. I woke up with a crazy headache. I was like, three of them? That's it? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take much these days, but. Yeah, getting old. I'm getting yeah. old, man. There's been some nights at like Old Mother and things you're like, what the hell did I drink? What did you do to my stomach? <laughs> that was, so when I was in New Orleans, that was the first time I had ever been there. And I also somehow had never gotten a daiquiri before going there. Oh, they have like drive through daiquiris. Yes, it was the, one daiquiris. of the most amazing things yeah. ever. So like we went down and we stayed with my wife's cousin. She picked us up from the airport. First thing she did was take us through to get drive through daiquiris. Yeah. I didn't know if I was going to like them or not. So I ordered a medium. I guess took so I loved it. We yeah. went back to our house and we're swimming. I was like, I need more. I didn't. So then she drove back, got a, a gallon of it. Oh man. I drank that much or more that entire week in my, my wife and I were both like, how is this happening? Like, Never once did we feel bad. I could have one beer on a weeknight Sometimes. and then need a week to recover from it. But then, uh, like, we're hitting it hard for an entire week down there. Never once felt bad. There's something in the water in Louisiana. There must be something. Because uh, you're right. There's been some times I've had a, a heavy craft beer, like maybe two or three of them. And you wake up and you're like, what happened to my head? Yeah. What is this? What? You know, or you'll get drunk pretty quick. Yeah. Like with Budweiser, you end up just peeing like 50 yeah. times that night. Just a lot of trips yeah. to the bathroom. That's all, it, <laughs> that's all it does to you. Oh, good old Bud. Man. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, Enjoyed dude. This is fun. getting a little peek behind. And I, what sucks is I, I wish I would have written down something because I know as soon as we leave i'm gonna have a ton of things like why didn't you ask him this why didn't you ask him that uh, so well you may get hit up someday for a follow-up yeah, episode whenever. yeah or if you know if you post this on instagram and if anybody has any questions about what it was like or, or any of that stuff just put it in the comments and i'll answer it right okay. there you know i'll try to or you can dm me if you want it to be private but uh you know i'm pretty you know i'm always on the on the gram i mean you could reach me pretty easily yeah. you know just send a dm or something so thank you for your yeah, time. Dude. It was a lot of fun hearing the, fun. the little uh, shenanigans that oh took place God. in little the garage. A lot of shenanigans. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, this could, if this was a Friday night with like five beers, this would have gotten dangerous. Maybe we'll, we'll do round two, yeah, and, round two and next tough, year yeah. at, with, uh, on a Friday night. We'll, I'll, I'll break out some bourbon. and <laughs> <laughs> It'll be worse than Conor McGregor's <laughs> ankle. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. All right, uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. See you. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh, my God. That's good. <laughs>